This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we're starting Daniel chapter 9. This might be a little longer because I'm going to do 1 through 23. So, if you need to take a break, I don't want to break it, the flow because it completely flows, but you can hit pause and come back to it later if you need to take a little break. But it's, it's wild, it's good, and it really sets up. Don't miss the next time when we do Daniel 9, 24, 26, then 26, 27, Woo! Probably the most amazing prophecies. So many amazing prophecies, but probably the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. So don't miss that, okay? But this is all setting it up, okay? So we're looking to see Daniel cracks the Jeremiah code. Daniel cracks the Jeremiah code. Daniel 9, 1 through 23. I remember when the Da Vinci Code came out. Remember that book? Probably not. But uh, when it came out, it was a big deal. Everybody's like, oh, this is amazing. The Da Vinci Code. Uh, this shows us what really happened with the Bible and how we got the Bible. And, and uh, it was about solving this code, but it was really an attack on Christianity. And it was fiction. I kept telling people, when you went to buy that book, where did you go buy it? In the fiction section, because it was all made up. They're, really, it seems so real. I'm like, it feels so true. I'm like, it's fiction. He made it all up. So, anywho. Uh, but this one, we find Daniel cracking a code in Daniel chapter 9. And he cracks an actual biblical code. The Jeremiah code that he breaks, okay? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. I ask for your mercy and grace to do that through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Daniel 9, Daniel 9, put on your seatbelt so it's getting crazier and crazier as we go through here, but in Daniel 9, verses 1 to 3, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So we see, first of all, this is the first year of Darius. First year of Darius, we know that's 538 BC. He was made the king of Babylon by Cyrus, the Persian. Verse number two, it says here, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Daniel is in his late 80s by now, but he's still studying scripture, still studying it. And somehow, somehow, <coughs> excuse me, he got a copy of Jeremiah's prophetic writings, the book of Jeremiah today. We consider this the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Daniel got a copy of, the, of, Dan, of Jeremiah's prophecies. The Jeremiah prophesied and wrote his prophecies just before the fall of Jerusalem. And then he was taken by captive by the rebels in Jerusalem. They didn't listen to what God said. And they took Jeremiah to Egypt. But the word was preserved somehow. We know how God did it. Because the first time when Jeremiah gave these prophecies... He, when they were read to the king of Judah, he had a, a sharp knife and he would cut them up. Every time a part of his prophecy was read, he would cut it up and throw it into the fire. Cut it up and throw it into the fire. That's how the king of Judah handled God's prophecies. And that's why he ended up being judged. Uh, he was the one cut up and burned. He was The kingdom was cut up and burned. He, he was judged and the nation was judged because that's how they treated God's 
word. That's what the king of Judah was like. That's what Judah was like. They didn't listen to God. It sounds just like a country I know. The USA today where we see God's word is ignored and we, and they try to, just as the king of Judah tried to keep the prophecies of Daniel from the people, not that it probably would have mattered, only to the remnant would have mattered, but the rest of them know. But we see the same thing. So many are trying to keep God's word from the people today. We we see this with the politicians, some politicians, godless, godless politicians, uh, calling evil good and good evil. We see they're trying to do the same thing, keep God's word from getting out there. The media, most of the media, the vast majority, tries to keep anything from God's word from reaching the people the truth try to keep anything uh, truth from reaching the people Uh, so we see the schools not allowing god's word to reach the students blocking them even many pastors today even so many so some some so-called evangelical pastors not giving the word of god to the people they're taking the media's garbage and the world's garbage and they're and they're digesting it and feeding it to their people garbage not biblical worldview but but the world worldview it's twisted and even they are keeping God's word and so we see this is what happened with with God's word with Jeremiah the prophet but God told Jeremiah write it down again have have it be written down again and God protected it and it made its way somehow to Daniel in Babylon who uh, actually now they've been taken over by the Medes and Persians so now uh, it's under the the Medes and Persians but it made its way to Daniel and Daniel reads it, and he prays, and he's given this amazing vision here in Daniel chapter 9, an amazing vision that we're going to be talking about. And, and keep in mind what he read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah's writings are about impending judgment. His prophecies were about a judgment. He was pleading with the people to repent. God was speaking through him, pleading with them to repent before it's too late, which they ignored. The king and all the people ignored it. They ignored it year after year, ignored it. Just like the USA Today, we have a choice. Revival or judgment? Repentance, revival, or judgment? For years... For years, godly pastors have been preaching this and, and, and exhorting people, but it's fallen on deaf ears to this point. We have a remnant remnant that's listening, but it's a remnant, a small remnant, just like with Israel, but it's going to take a, a bigger revival than that to save this country. It's going to have to be bigger than that. Jeremiah, this is what Daniel was reading in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 25, where it says, verse 11, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years going to serve the king of Babylon. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon, which we've already seen, right? And his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate Forever, and that's exactly what happened. The Medes and Persians conquer them, uh, which we'll talk about about a little bit more. But seventy years they're going to be in this captivity. And then in Jeremiah twenty nine verse ten it says this: Jeremiah twenty nine verse ten, this is what the Lord says: When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord: plans to prosper you and not to harm you; plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and I will 
You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Wow. So Daniel is reading Jeremiah and he figures this out that it's going to be 70 years because they had failed to observe the sabbatical year 70 times. Every seven years they were supposed to give the land rest and, and trust God like a Sabbath during the week, just like we should be giving God a Sabbath during the week. Doesn't matter what day. Could be a Saturday. Could be Sunday. Could be any day that you can take your Sabbath. Uh, that there should be a Sabbath day that you rest and, and honor God. And the same thing went, went, that was, before Israel got the law that was instituted before and it's still for today but also for the Israelites they were given an additional Sabbath it was a Sabbath year every seventh year they were to rest the land give the land rest and trust God but for 70 times they had ignored that 70 times uh, 70 times 7 490 years they had ignored this law so God says I will give the land its rest I will give the land its rest. And don't forget what caused them to neglect the Sabbath years and to neglect God. It was the idolatry. That's why they neglected it because they got involved in idolatry, which included sacrifice of children, included the sexual immorality. Does all this sound familiar? Well, we're living today, right? And Daniel, though, Daniel realizes that he has been in Babylon for 67 years now. 67 years. So it must be getting close. Must be getting close. And this is fulfilled, the 70 years is really fulfilled in two ways biblically. Uh, uh, the screen to the right, uh, over to the right of me, you can see the screen, the little uh, chart. But basically there's two different ways. The first was in 605 BC, the first Babylonian deportation occurred. And that's when Daniel was taken to Babylon. Okay, 605 BC. And then in 536, Ezra began rebuilding the temple, okay? That's when it began rebuilding the temple. Uh, also, 586 B.C., the temple was destroyed, and in 515 B.C., the temple was completed. So we see two 70-year 70 uh, uh, time periods that's restored. Very, very interesting. Josephus even writes about this because we know Cyrus ended up sending the people back, and Josephus, the historian, writes this. He, his chapter says, How Cyrus, king of the Persians, delivered the Jews out of Babylon and suffered them to return to their own country and build their t- temple for which he gave them money. God did stirred up the mind of Cyrus and made him write this throughout Asia. Thus says saith Cyrus, the king, since God Almighty has appointed me to, uh, to be the king of the habitable earth, the whole earth, I believe that he is the God which the nation of Israel worships. For indeed, he foretold my name by the prophets and that I should build him a house in Jerusalem and the country of Judea. What? This was known to Cyrus by his reading the book which Isaiah left behind him of his prophecies. Now keep in mind, the king of Judah ignored God's word, but here Cyrus gets wind of this prophecy and he pays attention to God's word. God's working. For this prophet said that God had spoken thus to him in a secret vision. My will is that Cyrus, whom I have appointed to be king over many and great nations, send back my people to their own land and build my temple. This was foretold by Isaiah 140 years before the temple was demolished. Accordingly, when Cyrus read this and admired the divine power and 
earnest desire and ambition seized upon him to fulfill what was so what was so written. Isaiah actually gave Cyrus's name in his prophecy. Amazing. Cyrus gets wins of this, reads this, realizes, hey, that's me. God gave me control of the whole earth, and I, I got a job to do. And he sends the, the, the remnant back, and he helps them rebuild the temple. Rebuild the temple. Amazing, amazing. You don't think God's in control? You think all the craziness going on all over the USA today, that God's lost control? He's in control. Doesn't matter how crazy it gets here, he's in control there, and he's going to make sure his purpose is fulfilled. Hang on, hang on. So what does Daniel do? Verse 3, he prays. Daniel hits his knees, and he prays. It says he prays. You see, God's promises in prophecy should drive us to our knees. As we study Daniel, and then we're going to go into the book of Revelation, we're going to see many promises and prophecies, and we're going to see them in the news, being fulfilled in the news. You just keep your eyes open. You're going to say, wait, I just read about that. I just saw that. And we're going to realize that the second coming is getting very, very close, and that should cause us to hit our knees. Daniel's Prayer life was fed by God's word, and ours should be too. As we read God's word and we study God's word, that and we see the promises in God's word, that should that should feed our prayer life. That should motivate us to pray. That should drive us to prayer. Jeremiah twenty nine. I'm going to read it again. Jeremiah twenty nine verses twelve to fourteen. Listen to these promises and and what it should motivate us to do with prayer. In verse twelve, it says. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from the captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The promises are meant to spur us to pray and spur us to act. Not to apathy, but to act. And, and the most important action is, is the prayer, is the prayer. Uh, Daniel prays and he ends up living to see the first wave go back to Jerusalem. Ezra 1.1 was in the first year of Cyrus. Daniel lived at least to the third year of Cyrus. In Daniel 10, he's still alive in the third year of Cyrus. So Daniel, studying it, sees it coming, has the vision, teaches the people. Daniel's giving all this encouragement. And he lives to see the first wave go back. That had to be amazing. We have no record that he went back. He was probably almost 90. He was over by 90 by then. But yet, he saw that first wave go back. How about us? Are we studying God's Word? Are we connecting the dots? Do we need encouragement to pray? Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you think God's taking too long for something. Do we need encouragement? Memorize Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and a future. That's God's plan for each one of us. God has a plan and a purpose for us. And His Word should spark us. So He promises us, He promises in God's Word uh, these things, and the promises in God's Word lead Daniel to pray. But the first thing he prays, you think he'd say, okay, I'm ready to go. No, the first thing he prays is the prayer of confession. It's a prayer of confession. And we need to pay close attention to this, to Daniel's prayer, because we can learn from this in the USA today. We have to pay very, very close attention And look how he prepares for the prayer. First of all, once again, verse 3, it says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. 
sackcloth, fasting sackcloth and ashes. He hum, he, he turns to God. He shifts his focus from the worldly to the spiritual. He humbles himself in sackcloth and ashes. That was a sign of in, in, intense humility in that culture. It was symbolic of grief. When you, when you would, were in terrible grief, you would put on sackcloth and ashes. And also fasting. Fasting. Not so, a lot of people think, well, I fast so I can get, get God to do what I want. No, no. Fasting is not so that God will hear us, but it's so that we can hear God. It cuts out the distractions. And if you've never fasted, I encourage you to make that a godly practice that you practice. You might start with a meal, work yourself up to a 24-hour period, however God leads. Start small and work up. But fasting is very important. But let's look at Daniel's prayer, verses 4 and 5, where it starts out with a confession. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. He says, we have sinned. We have sinned. There's no victim mentality here. He didn't blame God. Didn't blame other people. The mess that we are in is our fault. And the USA better recognize that we're so great at victim, victimizing ourselves and, and blaming other people for our, our actions or our problems. We better t- take it on ourselves. It's our fault. And why did Daniel even say this, pray this? This, Daniel is one of the few people in the Bible. There's only a couple. One of the few people in the Bible whose sin is not recorded. Now we know he sinned for all of sin and fall short of God's glory. We know, but there's no, none of Daniel's sins are recorded. One of the few people. And yet he still says, our sin, my sin. Why does he take that on? He, Daniel never worshiped the idols that everybody else did, right? Really godly guy. So why did he pray this way? Because he understood something. He understood corporate sin. Corporate identity and corporate sin. Collective responsibility. All Israel was held responsible for sin. I'm going to connect the dots to the USA today. We are being judged for national sin. Just as Israel was held accountable, we are being held, we are being judged for a national sin. Lots of them, but one especially national sin. If you never heard my sermon called Connect the Dots to the Coronavirus and Beyond, I encourage you to do that. It goes into detail, but the USA today is being judged for a national sin. Connect the dots. I've been saying this for 30 years. God will judge the USA for abortion. We have killed 60 million babies. 20 million of them are black babies. You talk about racism? 20 million are black. That's the ultimate form of racism. Why they aren't going out, why these writers aren't burning down Planned Parenthood, I don't know. Because why they're considered friends of theirs, I don't know. Because they're, they were started by a racist, Margaret Sanger, who wanted to limit black people and knew the best way was, was through Planned Parenthood. And then it morphed from birth control into abortion down the road. And, and, and you talk about racism. It's horrible what has happened to the, the, the uh, black babies and, and intentionally through Planned Parenthood. If there's a writing and burning down, that's the first thing, if they really cared about uh, uh, black lives the way that they claim, that's the first thing they should burn down, right? And, it, and God is going to judge the United States for abortion, 60 million. I was at a graduation ceremony for one of my, uh, my daughter the other day, one of the daughters, and they did social distancing and spacing and they had all the students spaced out. And, and I'm looking at this spacing every other chair and all this stuff and I'm thinking, that's prophetic. That's a prophetic picture. 
because one out of every three students in that school, one out of every three has been aborted. Every school graduation, picture every third chair empty. That's the way it is in reality. That is, the one out of three of them have been killed, murdered, unbelievable. And then we have Schumer, Schumer's speech threatening the Supreme Court, saying you will reap the whirlwind, saying if you touch abortion, you will reap the whirlwind. And what happened? Boom! God says, you want to talk about reaping the whirlwind? Coronavirus, slam. The economy, slam. The protests and riots, slam. And, 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 uh, and these, all that's going on, the racial divide. And a lot of people are asking me, do you support Black Lives Matter? I say, listen, Listen to me. Listen to everything I'm going to say. The Black Lives Matter movement, the organization, the Black Lives Matter organization is... Uh, I got somebody coming in here. Hold on. Kim? Thank you. Okay. James was coming in. He's, uh, I'm, his, I'm his grandpa and... <laughs> He he wants to he wants to uh, be in the video. I should have just brought him in and sat him down here. It would have been a bigger hit than I am. But anyway, people have asked me if Black Lives Matter, and I say, listen, the Black Lives Matter organization is anti-Christ. It's anti-Christ. the The founders are Marxist. They they are completely anti-Christ. They are racist. On top of that, they're racist. They're Marxist. They uh, are radical, have a radical agenda that has nothing, really, very little to do with Black Lives Matter. But I heard a much, much better slogan from Tony Evans, a phenomenal black pastor. Um, he, he said, all black lives matter. All black lives matter. And that's what I say to everybody. If somebody says to me, what do you think about black lives matter? I say, I believe all black lives matter. The, the, the guy, the, the guy who gets shot by a policeman or hurt by a policeman or even threatened by a policeman. Uh, thankfully there aren't that, that many anymore, but there's still some and we need to deal with that. The 8,000 young men and women that are killed from the violent culture in the cities through gang violence, those 8,000 lives matter too. And the 300,000, 300, Thousand black babies murdered every year through abortion. Ten, twelve percent of the population is thirty percent of the abortions. There's a purpose in that. Planned Parenthood has a purpose. It's it's racist, the ultimate form of racist. It breaks my heart, and I believe that all Black Lives Matter, not just George Floyd, but the the young man being shot and the babies being killed. All Black Lives Matter equally. And if and I tell people, if you are committed to saving all black lives, I am with you. I will join hands with you. But if you don't, I'm moving on. I'm going to find uh, black people, white people, red and yellow, black and white people that want to join together to save all black lives matter. That's what matters. All black lives matter. And, and anything else is a lie. It's a lie. It's deception. It's delusional. All black lives matter to God and should matter to each one of us. So, Back to corporate sin. Corporate sin, the country, corporate sin also affects the body of Christ too. It hurts the body. It's, it's, a, it's a cancer. That's why church discipline is so important in the body of Christ. Paul said a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And then he goes into specific sins in verses 5 to 6 here in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, he says, where am I at? 
uh, why am I having trouble seeing this? Oh, here we are. For we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. He gives specific sins. He said we have rebelled. We've turned away from God's plans. When an individual turn, rebels, chooses to ignore God's word. Disaster is only a matter of time. The well, same thing goes with a, a, a church or a country that chooses to ignore God's word. It's only a matter of time. A matter of time before disaster comes. And we have seen this happen in our country. It's been with a devastating effect. I'm going to read you something. This is from David Josiah Brewer, Supreme Court Justice uh, 1892, the Church of the Holy Trinity versus the United States. Listen to what he says. Supreme Court Justice, all right? He died in 1910, 100 years ago. Our laws and our institutions must, this is a Supreme Court ruling. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. No purpose of action against religion can be imputed to any legislation, state or national, because this is a religious people. The celebrated compact made by the pilgrims of the Mayflower, 1620, recites, having undertaken for the glory of God the advancement of the Christian faith, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. The orders of Connecticut to maintain and preserve the liberty and purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, which we now profess. The Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. We find everywhere a clear recognition of the same truth because of a general recognition of this truth, that we are a Christian nation. The question has seldom been presented to the courts. This is a Supreme Court ruling. And there's more, there's more. Lots more. I'm not going to read it all, but more. Can you... This is, this is, a, this whole idea of what we've created out there, compare that to what has happened now. Contrasted to the Supreme Court in the 1960s, banning the Bible in school and prayers in the school and the Ten Commandments. Separation of church and state. Listen, separation of church and state was written by Thomas Jefferson to a Baptist church. And it was a good point, but his point was the state shouldn't infringe on Christianity. Not that Christianity shouldn't be part of the state. The, the, the Christian, the, the United States is a Christ, was a Christian nation. And it was established that way. And the founding fathers said, if it stops being a Christian nation, it's going to fail because the, our democracy and constitution is based on the idea that it's self-governed. Every person must be self-governed. And if they're not self-governed, then there's no way this can work because you need a dictator to run the show then. And and that's what it really was meant. But what has happened is we have, the Supreme Court has banned the Bible and prayers and the Ten Commandments and we're seeing the effect in this country. That what has happened in the schools, look at this, this the statistics since 1961. Look at what has happened in this country. We are seeing it happen in this country today. The Nazi youth have grown up. They're out on rioting and burning and, and, and killing babies and using drugs and, and lost their minds, lost their minds because no Jesus, no Jesus. That is what has happened. And even the churches have lost it. 
mainline churches have done the same. They've turned their back on God's Word. And now we're seeing the evangelical churches doing the same, turning their back on God's Word. And just as the mainline churches have hemorrhage, God, God's going to bring the evangelical church under a judgment because it's turning its back on God. They rebelled, and, and, and also Daniel said they did not listen to the prophets who were sent to warn them. When we ignore God's war warnings, we come under discipline. And if we ignore the discipline, we come under judgment. It's inevitable. I've been saying this about the USA today for many, many years. <clears throat> it's revival or judgment. Revival or judgment. We have a choice. Back to Daniel chapter chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries we have, you have scattered us be, because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not and we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us a great disaster. Under the whole heavens, nothing has ever... Oh, jeez, I dropped it. I hope this is picking it up. Uh, there... Sorry, I lost my microphone. Therefore, the curses... I'm not sure where I lost it, but I hope I got it all. Uh, therefore, the curses and sworn judgments <clears throat> written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done in Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Wow. Wow. The shame and the curse. Who does that remind you of? Who is experiencing the shame and the effect of the curse that we have brought on ourselves? But verse 9 says God's mercy and forgiveness is still there. And we're going to see restoration coming next. But it starts with the prayer of repentance and, 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 and asking for forgiveness. But there is still hope for the church. But verse 9, it starts with prayer and repentance. It starts with that. The church is the key. We're going to have some prayerful repentance events coming up soon but but we got to start here at home we got to start in our own life we got to start in our church and then let it spread to all the churches but the church is the key second chronicles 714 the church is the key if my people second chronicles 714 if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. It starts with the church. It starts with the church. It looks bad, but there is still hope. A lot of people don't realize this, but I saw an article years ago. Is there hope for America? For America by Marlon 
Marlon Maddox. It was in Revival in America. And it says it happened to America. This What we're experiencing now is not unheard of. It's happened before. Most people don't know that. The truth is Dr. J. Edwin Orr, extensive research history of Christian revivals. Not many people realize in the wake of the American Revolution. Most of you have never heard this. In the wake of the American Revolution, there was a moral slump. Drunkenness became epidemic. Out of a population of 5,300,000 were confirmed drunkards. <clears throat> Profanity was of the most shocking kind. Women were afraid to go out at night for fear of assault. <clears throat> Bank robberies were a daily occurrence. A fitting... <clears throat> uh, it says here, this sounds like a fitting description of America of today. The churches were losing more members than they were gaining. The Lutherans discussed uniting with, uniting with the Episcopalians who were even worse off. Back then, at least they both preached the gospel. Now they could unite with the Unitarians. You know, very few preach the gospel anymore. Education was the worst. Harvard, formerly an evangelical school, not one, had not one admitted believer in Harvard. It's bad today, but I think there's more than one. Uh, the uh, other colleges, the believers had to meet in secret. In the colleges, what does it sound like today? Look at the mess the American colleges are in. Hotbed of, of sin and, and, and garbage. Just unbelievable false teaching there. Anti-Christian bigotry was rife. Woo! What does that sound like? Mock communions at Williams College, anti-Christian plays at Dartmouth, Bible burning in New Jersey. It's nothing new what we're seeing in 2020, right? Uh, it seemed as if Christianity was about to be ushered out of the affairs of men as humanism tightened its stronghold on France and threatened to spread to the United States. Voltaire suggested that Christianity would be forgotten in three decades. Uh, I forget, who's Voltaire? Anyway, uh, an alarmed core of Christians began concerts of desperate prayer. The result was the second great awakening in the early 1800s. Churches suddenly filled to overflowing Converts bowing under supernatural conviction of sin. Waves of social reform that helped pave the way for the end of slavery. The gospel of Jesus Christ helped pave the way for the end of slavery. The abolitionist movement came about through through this the second great awakening. In our hour of deepening crisis, if Christians make the conscious decision to turn to prayer a searching study of the Bible and obedience to what they find in the Bible's pages, applying God's word to every area of the public and private life, there is reason to hope that America can be rescued again. Remember this. America can be rescued again. God can fix anything. And Daniel prays for that restoration next. Look at Daniel 9, verse 15. He prays for that restoration. <clears throat> Now, O God, now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and turn your 
wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And, and, and he says the basis of this prayer for restoration, the basis for this, he says, is the exodus. That was the past deliverance. <clears throat> He's basing this prayer on the, the past deliverance of the exodus. The exodus is the Old Testament's ultimate picture of God's power to deliver and save, and that has been fulfilled. And now in the New Testament, we have another picture of that deliverance and, and saving, and that is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the basis of our prayer for God to restore us. He saved me. He adopted me. He will take me back again. He can restore my life. He can restore our church. He can restore our denomination. He can restore this country if we will turn back to Him. Verse 18, because of God's great mercy. It's the same for us. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can now come before the throne of God itself through Jesus Christ. Christ to find God's mercy and grace. It's still there. And he also, Daniel also talked about God's reputation. Why Israel keeps bouncing back. In 70, in Babylon, after 70 years, they came back again. Rome destroyed 2,000 years ago, 1948. They're back again. Why they're going to survive in the end times? They're coming back. They're going to be there. They're going to be there all the way through, no matter how hot it gets. It's going to, they're going to be there through the whole end times as the time comes from Messiah because it's God's reputation at stake. And look at God's response. Verse Verse 20, it says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding as soon as you began to pray an answer was given which I have come to tell you for you are highly esteemed therefore consider the message and understand the vision God's response he sends Gabriel the messenger we see him again then we're going to see coming up verses 24 to 26 God's going to give a prophecy about the coming Messiah the the the, the, the triumphal entry wait you see it the cross unbelievable don't miss the next time uh, we're going to look at that next time he then, then the next sermon after that, God gives in verse 27 an end times prophecy, the last seven years of the planet. We're going to look at that in uh, the next one after that. But the bottom line is God will restore Israel, which he does after the 70 years are up with the Babylonian captivity. He's brought back 1948. They're brought back 2,000 years later. End times, waiting for the Messiah. They're going to be preserved through that time. And one last wild detail here that I want to mention as we go to prayer here is in verse 21. It says that the time of the evening sacrifice, the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, remember, there is no evening sacrifice anymore. 
It's been 50 years since the temple was destroyed. There's been no temple. There's been no sacrifice for 50 years. And Daniel hasn't been back there for 67 years to see it. <clears throat> but he remembers the sacrifice. He remembers the evening sacrifice. He remembers the smoke. He remembers praying. And he still prayed at that same time 67 years later. He's still praying that same time because of Exodus 29. Exodus 29, verses 39 to 40, it says, The lamb you shall offer in the morning and the lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an epaph of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a libation with one lamb. And this was the evening sacrifice. It, the perfect lamb had to be a lamb without blemish, the perfect lamb with the flour and the wine, which is a picture of the cross and the and communion, which we celebrate on a regular basis. That's the basis for our mercy and grace that we receive from God. That's the basis of our confession. That's the basis of our prayer for restoration. Have you been restored to God? Have you put your faith in the Lamb of God? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? And for as a Christian, we can be restored anytime. God will restore any life if we'll truly turn back to Him and, and persevere and go through the discipline that He sends. If we'll come to Him for His mercy and grace, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Have you gone to that throne of grace no matter what your life is like, no matter how far you've fallen away, you can still go back 70 years he restored Israel. Seventy years, no matter how long you've been gone, He will restore your life. He will take you back. You, you're not going to wait seven years to be taken back. The discipline might take a while, but you can come back instantly to God at any time. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our need. And this goes for our country too. It doesn't look good. It looks hopeless. Completely hopeless. But it did during the, after the Revolutionary War. It looked hopeless. It looks hopeless. No human possibility. And yet, God will take us back. If we will turn to Him, it's revival or judgment. Repentance and revival or judgment. And even if the country doesn't come back, there's still going to be a remnant revival. The remnant is always there and God is always waiting to restore us and even prepare us for what the country is going to go through. He often sends a revival before he puts the country through something. Before the Civil War, there was a terrible, as you know, a terrible Civil War, but there was a massive revival in the United States before that hit. And God was preparing the, these Christians for the Civil War, what they're going to have to go through. God will prepare the remnant. Are we prepared? Let's pray. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to Him and asked for forgiveness and, and, and had your sins cleansed by the perfect Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ, the body and blood of Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? You can do that now. The prayer of repentance, God, I repent 
I turn away from my old life. I turn away from my rebellion. I turn away from my disobedience. I turn away from the shame and the garbage that I've brought into my life. I repent of that old life. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus Christ. My faith in the lamb who died on the cross for me. My faith in Jesus who came alive from the dead to prove he was your son and to show that I can have a brand new life. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing has happened. You have been restored to God. You have been completely forgiven. Completely forgiven. For those of us who are already Christians, how is God speaking to us? Maybe we have fallen away from God and God is calling us back and, and we've, we've been, oh, God will never take me back. Listen, He'll take anybody back. Anybody. We can come to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace anytime. No matter where we are, what we've done, He's waiting to take us back. And as our, maybe God's calling you to, to pray for and prepare for revival. Even the country, bringing this country back. Or if the country's not going to come back, then it's a remnant revival. God's calling you to be part of the remnant revival. Father, I pray that there would be a revival. We'd love to see it move from the church and, and be a spiritual awakening in this country. But no matter what, we know there will be a remnant revival. And I pray that every person hearing this will be part of that remnant revival. And I pray that each person listening to this would be sure of their salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed to put your faith in Christ, let somebody know. you got a friend or a family member who's a Christian, tell them. Or you've got a good church nearby, tell them. Or email me, nhcc at comcast.net. I will, I will encourage you and be excited for you and help you with that. And don't miss next time. You're going to be shocked. The next two talks I give are going to be a little shorter, but they're going to be amazing prophecies. Amazing, amazing prophecies. It's going to rock your world. See you next time.